this is Jack Larson, uh, Jimmy Olsen from The Adventures of Superman, and you're listening to On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Hey, Brian with you once again. This is episode 66 of On Screen and Beyond, and welcome. Glad you could join us once again. This is the weekly show that keeps you updated on upcoming movies, remakes, sequels, TV and movie DVD releases, and of course, our ever-popular guest segment where we have the guest interview and uh, this week is no exception because we have last week of course we had mark mcclure played jimmy olsen in the christopher reeve superman movies this week we continue that premise with jimmy olsen's this is the show that will have jack larson who played jimmy olsen in the original tv show the adventures of superman with george reeves and Jack Larson, of course, played Jimmy Olsen in that one. It's a classic. Jack is a classic guy. He's a great, uh, you know, brings back so many memories, talks about so many different things, uh, about movies and TV shows and things he was in, and it's just fascinating. you got to hear this one because if you are a person, one, who likes Superman, uh, you know, this is something you want to hear, and if you just like classic Hollywood Jack has got some stories about that that you're just not going to believe. So it's a fantastic interview. And I got to tell you, we interviewed him for you know quite a while. So this is an extra long episode. But what I've done is because, of course, for those of you that are downloading this, it could be a long you know <laughs> download because it's so big. So what I've done is I've broken it up into uh, two segments. You have part one and part two. We're release, releasing them on the same day and everything. It's just that uh, to make it easier for you to download, we have done both segments, you know, split it up. So uh, it just makes it a little easier to download because they are so large. So we're going to be getting right into that. We don't want to hold off too much longer, but we are going to get into Remake Madness coming up next right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness and On Screen and Beyond. Well, this one sort of fits in with this episode because Walt Disney Pictures has a film in development called Bizarro Superman. Looking at uh, a 2013 release, it uh, remakes the comic book nemesis of Superman, who he's the evil and opposite of Superman, you know, that guy, the Man of the Steel, Man of Steel and all that. And it's uh, going to be coming to the big screen. So we'll look out for that one in 2013, Bizarro Superman. And Leonardo DiCaprio is producing a movie version of Aquaman. And they are heading toward a 2013 also release. And that's coming out from Warner Brother Pictures. And Tim Burton's 1984 short film Frankenweenie is headed for a full-fledged movie in 2011 from Walt Disney Pictures. And it's currently in development. That gives you an idea what's coming up for remakes. Coming up next, upcoming movies right here on On Screen and Beyond. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. 
One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX is the veil now streaming only on Hulu. Upcoming movies? Well, it looks like 2011 will bring us IHOP. It's about the Easter Bunny getting hit by a car in an accident, and the driver of the car must now save Easter. And we uh, will be looking for Russell Brand as the voice of the Easter Bunny on that one. Jennifer Aniston is rumored to be starring in Counterclockwise, and she is one of the producers listed on that film, and it's listed currently as in development. In the Knights Templar is a film coming in 2010 about a band of warriors in the Middle Ages looking to stop a vampire army from destroying the Holy Grail. That's about it for upcoming movies right now. Coming up next, taking you down to Sequel City to find out what's coming your way as far as sequels. Well, at Sequel City, it looks like The Mummy 4 Rise of the Aztec is in development and will be coming your way in 2010. This time, they're heading down to the Amazon. And this one here could be, you know, prequel, sequel, uh, remake, I guess. You could throw it in anywhere, but it's called Dracula Year Zero. And it will be trying to scare you in theaters in 2011 with the famed Bloodsucker. And like I said, it's, it, they we're going to throw it in here as the, the, the sequels uh, or prequels. And Imagine Entertainment and Universal Pictures are looking at making The Nutty Professor 3. And it's still in the early stages, so we'll keep you updated on that one as it comes along. That's about it for remakes from On Screen and Beyond. Coming up next, we're going to go and see what's coming out for TV on DVD. TV on DVD this week coming out on DVD will be The Love Boat Season 2, Volume 2, with Captain Steubing and the gang. And also, we have Project Runway, 5th season, and the Stargate Atlantis Fans Choice is coming out on Blu-ray. And it's a, sort of a best-of series type thing. And also coming out down the line as far as TV on DVD on October 20th, look for Vegas, starring Robert Urich to come your way. And October 27th, The Fugitive. Season 3, Volume 1, will come our way, starring David Jansen. That's it for TV on DVD. Next up, Movies on DVD, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Well, Movies on DVD, hitting the stores this week for movies. It's obsessed with Beyonce, as well as Race to Witch Mountain and The Tigger Movie. Also, on September 1st, look for MASH the Movie, as it'll be coming to Blu-ray, and you can hear interviews with two of the stars of MASH the Movie. Of course, we had Sally Kellerman, who played Hot Lips, and Gary Berghoff, who was Radar. And they were both past guests on On Screen and Beyond, and you can get those uh, interviews and hear them by going to the rerun section of On Screen and Beyond at onscreenandbeyond.com. And they both were our guests, and they talked about MASH, the movie. And it's a very interesting, the stories they had. Gary had some really funny ones, Sally also. And you might want to check those out if you're a fan of MASH, the movie. And uh, that's about it now for Movies on DVD. Coming up next... We have got a classic for you. We have Jack Larson. And he, of course, played Jimmy Olsen on Superman, the TV show back in the 50s with George Reeves. The Adventures of Superman was the name of the show. And it's it's just the classic. It's out on DVD if you ever want to see that. Uh, but uh, Jack did a great job 
playing Jimmy Olsen, and I think everybody who has played Jimmy Olsen since then in all the different movies that have come out, uh, look back at what Jack did, because Jack is Jimmy Olsen. He is the one, I mean, even um, when we talked with Mark McClure last week, uh, that's what he said. He went back and he looked at Jack Larson playing Jimmy Olsen because he was just, he he was Jimmy Olsen. And uh, Jack is here. He's going to talk with us about that. And like I said, I split it up into two separate, you know, interview parts, okay? So what's going to happen is partway through this interview, uh, we'll take a pause and uh, then we'll continue on. Uh, on part two, you can download that one and listen to it or click on it and listen to it, whichever way you do, you're planning to do it. And uh, that way you can uh, have an easier way to download this because it is a huge, you know, we talked with him, I think, like an hour and a half. So it's a great interview, a lot of stuff. Sit back, relax. It's a great interview. And uh, you're going to find out a lot of different stuff about uh, Superman, the adventures of Superman, George Reeves, Lois Lane, Jack, uh, you know, everybody who played anything in that Superman movie. A TV show, rather, and about, uh, of course, the uh, the the death of George Reeves and uh, all the different things that went on, and then about Hollywood in general and everything. He's got some great stories, so stick around for that, and uh, we'll come back in the second part two, and then we'll finish the show up at the end of that one. So sit back, relax, and let's get into it right here on On Screen and Beyond. <laughs> Our guest today on On Screen and Beyond is an actor who in the 1950s was the envy of every child in America. He was Superman's best friend, Jimmy Olsen, on the classic TV show, The Adventures of Superman. It's Jack Larson. Welcome to the show, Jack. Well, happy to be with you. Uh, Jack, i got to tell you, it's a real pleasure having you on the show. I was always a big fan of your show. And let's face it, if you couldn't be Superman, you wanted to be Superman's best friend. <laughs> well, well, I never wanted to be Superman, so I was very happy to be here. I never would have done all of those uh, athletic uh, turns that George Reeves did. He did most of his uh, stunts and everything himself. Oh, really? Oh, yes. He was very athletic. Wow. And uh, the uh, entrances of Superman coming, uh, when he'd come through windows and all, he would do that. Uh, they would put um, uh, a bleacher uh, thing over the camera and then a bar, and he would uh, uh, jump in, grab the bar, come in feet first in, into the window. And then when he'd do those exits, uh, uh as a you know, Superman, mm-hmm. he, they put a diving board. Uh, it was a particularly uh, uh, built diving board on the floor, and he would run and hit it, and and do a tuck over the camera where there now would be a mattress. Wow! And uh, and and they and really uh, uh, his uh, entrances and exits, and then through. And he would come through walls, of course, and everything, which he was very particular about uh, when he did that. Wow. But uh, uh, that they were the right consistency, so they puffed out. He liked to make a, a real entrance as that. But he was very athletic in uh-huh. these things. And uh, though I was a, a bit of a jock uh, 
when I was younger, and at that time, I could never have done any of that. So I was very happy to just be his pal waiting to be rescued. <laughs> well, we're going to get into all that because there's so many questions about Superman, naturally, that uh, we want to get into. And I've also got some emails from people who have sent them in to me to ask you, and uh, we'll get to those. But uh, I'd like to start off with, you know, what you were like and what it led you into being Jimmy Olsen on the show. Now, one thing I noticed is that uh, I understand you were quite a bowler. Uh, I was. My dad, I was. Uh, I grew up around bowling alleys and various other. Uh, my dad was, was a real jock who wanted to be a uh, professional uh, baseball player who felt he couldn't um, um, depend on that. And uh, But anyway, he, uh, and he always belonged to the... Uh, um, you know, labor leagues of uh, baseball and mm-hmm. I was raised really to, uh, in his uh, shadow to uh, uh, be a baseball player with his best friend Hugh McMullen. I've written about that. There's a book, it's the main book on baseball uh, from the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. Oh. Uh, it's called What Baseball Means to Me. And I wrote about my dad and, and Huey in the book because somewhere we talked about that, or I had on an interview. But... Um, uh, exactly when I failed as a baseball player <laughs> for my dad and Huey McMullen, who later was a major league catcher, uh, my dad was a bowler, the you know workman's league bowling, and so I grew up around the various bowling alleys and bowled, and I was junior champion of Southern California when I was a kid. And, uh, and the first time I was ever on film, uh, actually... I had a big rival. His name was Kenny Strode, and uh, who was a brilliant young uh, bowler, and um, and we were asked to be in an MGM uh, uh, sports short uh, with the two greatest bowlers of the day, Hank Marino and Ned Day, who were world champion. And it was shot over at a bowling alley in Santa Monica that the uh, uh, great uh, comedian Harold Lloyd owned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was an, also a, a devoted bowler, Mr. Lloyd. And uh, and Kenny and I are in that sports short, uh, which I always expect to turn up sometime on <laughs> One Real Wonders on Turner Classic Movies. Yeah. Whenever I see them running, but I, would, I wonder if it's going to turn up this time. Uh-huh. But it hasn't. But anyway, that was the first time I was ever on film. But now you weren't just a bowler. You were a champion, a state champion bowler, weren't you? Junior. A junior, yeah. I was junior champion. And, and bowling at that time, uh, uh, there was a lot of gambling, if we can say that, <laughs> <laughs> around bowling. And that was my, my arrival was this kid, Kenny Strode. And there would be these uh, match games if you had, uh, uh, as a kid, I had quite a bit of publicity and such, uh, you know, in the sports columns. Uh, and I didn't, uh, nor did Kenny have a 16-pound ball. Uh, we bowled with um, a 12-pound ball. Mm-hmm. You know, we were a little, yeah, littler, and uh, uh, and uh, and it was um, people would bet on us uh, <laughs> from the stands, uh-huh. and uh, you'd win or not or whatever. But anyway, he was not only a rival but a great friend at the time. His, his mother was uh, a manager of a bowling alley over in La Brea of a Wilshire Bowler, 
Boulevard, La Brea Boulevard, I believe it was called. But all these all these bowling alleys are gone now. And, yeah. And these were the days of pin boys. Uh-huh. You know, we're talking here about the 1940s. Right, yeah. <laughs> and they were pin boys. And all I can tell you is, I mean, I never uh, inveigled any of them to help me out. But where they would, you know, they would set the pins. You know what I'm talking about. Yes, yeah. Automatic pin setters. But where these pin boys uh, would be back there uh, uh, and where they held their feet, for instance, if you had a wayward 10 pin or something like that, it could bounce off a foot (laughs) 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 and take care of of a standing uh, 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 (laughs) anyway, there we are so what was your best score without being foot aided (laughs) my best score was um, well I never shot 300 but as a kid I shot uh, it would have been I shot 290 wow uh, but it was uh, but it would have been but I had actually 13 strikes Jeez. But they were not in the same uh, game. <laughs> it was a cross. It was. It was. Next, I, I had a, a spare, and then a series of, uh, of, uh, you know, eleven strikes. Yeah. Wow. As a kid, but that was the best one. Jeez. I, I got a, a medal at that time. I don't know somewhere they used to do these things. Do you still bowl once in a while? No, I don't. And no. the last time I tried, uh, I was doing a film. Uh, actually, the last film of Ethel Barrymore called Johnny Trouble. I was mm-hmm. acting in it yeah. in the 50s. I guess it was 1956, 7. Yeah. And there was a big bowling alley connected to uh, what had been the, uh, well, it was, uh, what was the studio? Well, it was Warner's studio at one time. And then they had this big bowling alley, and I decided some friends said, let's go bowling. I was miserable. I was just rotten. I I lost all my form and everything. Uh. <laughs> I hit the gutter more than the pin. <laughs> and I, I thought, I'm going to quit. I just, I, I, I saved my mother had clippings, newspaper clippings. I just show people my clippings. I would try to show them my form. But I hadn't bowled in many, many, many years. Right, yeah. I quit when I grew up. Huh. Now, now, what led you into acting in the first place? Well, uh, actually, it was bowling. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> because, because my, my mom and dad had, had divorced, and nobody had much control over me, and uh, and I uh, was going to, was hanging around the bowling alley. I really wasn't going to school a lot, and uh, and as I said, there were these uh, there were uh, match games and uh, and pot games. Uh, you know, people across uh, twenty alleys, and people would put up some money and. And there was where I where I lived at this time was uh, very much a, a factory area, mm-hmm. U.S. Tire and Rubber and Goodrich and all of that. And they would have uh, they used to have all night shifts, and then they would go in the morning, and they would have these bowling leagues in the morning, and uh, and I would um, join. And I was like a mascot. And then instead of going to school, I would go there and join these um, get in these pot games. I was like this. They were amused by me, these hard-working guys. Mm-hmm. And every so often I went a pot and all over. And suddenly my dad heard this, that I wasn't going to school. And, of course, my grades were miserable, uh-huh. if I even had them. I don't remember <laughs> what was going on here. And he, and he uh, uh, came back uh, to our house and uh, wanted to know what I thought I was doing. And I said, uh, 
you know, it was what I was doing. I was honest with him. And he said, how do you think you're going to earn a living? You're just going to break your back like me, a truck driver? What are you going to do? You're not going to go to college. You're not going to, you know, uh, uh, earn a living with your brain. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? And I said, no, I was going to earn a living bowling. <laughs> and with that, we had quite a quite a serious discussion. And uh, he lost his temper with me. And he and my mother uh, made up a bit to find out what to do with this kid. And it turned out that um, there was, in Pasadena, uh, there was run a, uh, it was at that time called Pasadena Junior College. It was the last two years of high school and the first two years of college. And they'd set up a program for returning veterans. Uh, this is obviously uh, in the years following the Second World War, who had the GI Bill of Rights, but some of them hadn't finished high school, so they couldn't go into college, and this was really set up for their benefit, and then for uh, young people with good IQs who were failing miserably in school, in <laughs> uh, uh, so-called underprivileged areas, and uh, with a bit of uh, doing, uh, an investigation, uh, they got me into that program mm-hmm. in Pasadena, and I went there, and um, uh, and we were much tested, and uh, the tests run by the University of Chicago, which are aptitudes, and I was discovered to have an aptitude for writing, uh, uh, theater, all of these things, and I started uh, doing exactly that, writing and performing and plays and such. And talent scouts at that time were a very important part of the movie industry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the, the, when it's now Pasadena City, City College, uh, people can see it on New Year's Day. It's on Colorado Boulevard. Uh, and um, it was several miles from a very distinguished acting institute called the Pasadena Playhouse. And they used to cover the playhouse. Actually, George Reeves, my Superman, went there, as well as William Holden and Victor Mature wow. and endless movie stars. And uh, great playwrights had their premieres, like Eugene O'Neill had a play called Marco's Millions at the Pasadena Playhouse. Well, I never went there or had anything to do with that. But they would, because they were interested in Pasadena, they got interested in the, uh, in the school where I went the junior college, and uh, and they started seeing me in these various uh, plays and things. I did Charlie's Aunt, and then I wrote the um, uh, a, a summer show, uh, and uh, which had music and everything, and I gave myself good parts. And they um, uh, started taking me to the studio, first uh, a talent scout from 20th Century Fox, and then from MGM. Uh, I could name their names, Craig Noel, and then, uh, and then uh, Sally Bayano from Warner Brothers. And uh, so there were a lot of inquiries, and, and they thought, obviously, that I had some um, uh, marketable ability as a young actor. Mm-hmm. And then this part turned up at Warner Brothers in a very big film of theirs called Fighter Squad, and they were looking for a young man. I was just going to ask you about that one. And that's what I, and yeah, and so then they uh, uh, wanted to meet my mom and dad, 
and uh, who only spoke on these occasions, <laughs> came over to the studio, and uh, and I tested for the greatest director there, Raoul Walsh, and uh, did a comedy, a little comedy skit that I'd done in this show that I'd written called Balguna Del Mar, and um, about what we bad kids did during Easter week, which the bad kids still do during Easter week. <laughs> <laughs> in some of the same areas, Laguna. I think now they go down to Mexico if they dare to Cancun. But <laughs> we only made it to Newport and Balboa and Laguna and uh, behaved outrageously, and that's what the show was about. And and anyway, I did this screen test, and Warner Brothers signed me, and I played the part in a big Technicolor uh, film, a personal project of uh, Jack Warner's, and... Uh, with their top director, Raoul Walsh, and that's how I became an actor. And I understand Rock Hudson, was uh, that was one of his first films? It was definitely his first film. Wow. And his first scene, as he never quit talking about, because every time I'd see him, he'd apologize to me. And after he was a major star and everything, he was, given, he was in the conduct of Raoul Walsh, not to Warner Brothers, but to Raoul Walsh. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and he had a key scene in the film, which was with my character, who is very young. And it was, uh, he, he comes to the room where I'm in, and, where, and my character's shaving. And, he, and it's, a, it's a page and a half scene where he, what are you doing? And, 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 and he, said, he said, you don't need to shave, and why are you shaving? And then the character says, because it's my birthday. And, and the camera zoomed in on a calendar beside the wash basin. It was D-Day, which was what the film was about. Uh, yeah. It was about the Air Corps on D-Day with great actors, Edmund O'Brien, Henry Hall, and uh, Bob Stack was in it, and mm-hmm. et cetera. Well, Rock Hudson couldn't do the scene. We shot, it was the first time he'd ever been on film, and he couldn't even come in the door. <laughs> it was, and finally, he couldn't knock in time to come in the door. Huh. and. Uh, and, and Mr. Walsh put a light outside the door <laughs> and pressed on the thing. And it was, really, it was really difficult because he was just paralyzed with fear. Wow. He was this big, terrific guy, absolutely paralyzed with uh, fright. <laughs> and when he'd come in, when he finally would open the door on time and my character would say, come in, and he'd come in. And then he'd just stand there. And according to Bob Stack, uh, we did a... Uh, a biography of, uh, we were both asked to do a biography of uh, Rock Hudson, mm-hmm. and he talked about this all the time, so I'm not telling stories on him. Uh, later, I guess he was amused, because he became a fine actor. Oh, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> But but uh, he, um, according to Bob Stack, I didn't hear this, because, of course, I myself was, I wasn't a uh, seasoned actor, and here we were playing this scene, and and this guy couldn't do it. He couldn't do his lines. He couldn't do anything. And it, and according to Bob Stack, at some point, Raoul Walsh yelled at him. He said, come on, you big lug. Don't just stand there like a tree. Say something. Do something. And that was Bob Stack's story. Huh. Uh, <laughs> and, I didn't hear it. I myself, I was absolutely numb. Yeah. But it's not in the film. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, The film cuts to the calendar on the wall. Oh, jeez. That is the day. Yeah. Now, uh, as far as the part of Jimmy Olsen, how did that come about? How did you get that part? 
I had met Warner Brothers uh, uh, closed down in 1950, and uh, uh, with the rise of television in Milton Berle, and that they had to sell their their theaters. Uh, they used to know how they would they would make films and. They could tell you when they made it, when it was going to be released in what theater. Mm -hmm. And then they couldn't do that anymore because they didn't know Warner's, didn't know Warner Brothers Theater, uh, Fox didn't own Fox Theaters, et cetera, et cetera, RKO, RKO Theaters. And they had to compete, and they really didn't know how to do business in the way they did. So many of the studios, uh, RKO, Warner's, uh, closed down to reassess how they made films. And at that time, <clears throat> I got into a play called The Great Man with two major stars, uh, Doris Costello and Albert Decker, who had just toured Death of a Salesman. And it was this very uh, good part, this, the, the son in this play. And uh, we had a lot of coverage in Los Angeles because of, uh, of uh, them. And, uh, and so I had a lot of attention with that. And uh, and I really can't tell you, suddenly I was offered a number of things at that time. When you start getting attention, it doesn't last forever, but suddenly you're, what can we say, you're a bit hot or something. Yeah. And I was offered um, uh, a couple of contracts at studios, stock contracts again at MGM and at Fox, but I didn't want that, and having been on the stage... This was a big thrill to me that the play didn't work. Uh, I just wanted to get to New York, so I didn't want to be in the kind of studio. And exactly at that time, uh, the first television show ever filmed, you know, filmed one camera. Mm -hmm. Not uh, Lucy was shooting, but she was shooting with three cameras in a studio audience. Yeah, yeah. And Superman was going to do 26 shows, and... Um, and I was offered Jimmy Olsen. They 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 asked me to come over and talk to them, and uh, I did. And I didn't want to do it. Oh, really? No. Uh, I just didn't. Well, I had my heart set on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were, well, we're not going to be in this play. The play was not going to make it beyond L.A. And um, and so uh, the last act didn't work. And so I remember I uh, was at the studio there. It was um, um, on the Washington Boulevard near MGM, and I decided to go uh, uh, um, surfing down to uh, the beach, Venice Beach. It's not so far away, and I went there to think about the whole thing. And it was the uh, and then the, the uh, people asked me to come back and talk to them, and then the casting man who's with Harold Childs, uh, said to me, he said, you know, you're a very mixed up kid. He said, you don't want, he said, you don't want to have another stock contract at Fox or MGM. You don't want this. You don't want that. You want to go to New York, but you don't have the money to go to New York. He, he said, this is, this is a, a long time. This is many months work offer and probably no one will ever see it. <laughs> Little uh, did he know. <laughs> yeah, he said it, it's just uh, you know we don't know what to see. Television wasn't there was no film television like that. He said so. He said why don't you do this? And so I said uh, <laughs> and I did it. 
And then, of course, I was very happy to have done it because uh, uh, I liked working with everybody, and we had great crews. The, the, our sound men had been Orson Welles sound men. We were shooting uh, a lot of them in our, our wardrobe. Everybody had worked on Mercury Theater, on uh, Citizen Kane. And yeah, such. wow. Uh-huh. And uh, we were shooting at, it was called Archeo Cafe. It was owned by Howard Hughes at the time, just down the street from MGM. Huh. And up the street from um, uh, the uh, Hal Roach studio, which was later doesn't exist, is torn down. Mm-hmm. And this one is now Sony. It's one of two Sony places. But anyway, that was, and it was a wonderful experience in the first year shooting there. was uh, thrilling yeah. because uh, Chaplin and Buster Keaton were were doing their great comedy routine in Chaplin's last American film, Limelight. They'd rented uh, stage two uh, at Archaeopathy, which had been the Selznick studio, where Gone with the Wind was done. Wow. And, uh, and, uh, and, they, and they had this huge standing uh, theater set where they were working and Howard Hawks was shooting uh, 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 The Big Sky down on stage uh, 16, I guess it was, and we were on 11 and 12, and it was a very exciting place. Mm-hmm. And uh, and, uh, and I really liked enormously working with George, and, and uh, at that time there was not much work in town, and so all these great actors uh, were happy to be doing the Superman show, so we had these, these you know, br- brilliant uh, character actors coming that you got to work with and you learned from them. Yeah, I'm sure, gee. And uh, I can name the whole list of them. Um, it was thrilling to work with. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, I, I do want to ask you about, uh, you know, the cast was an amazing cast, and I'd like to go one at a time through them, and, and you give us your impressions of, of what the person was like. Uh, let's start off with George Reeves. How, how, how was he? Well, George was uh, a very uh, fine actor, uh, and uh, to begin with, I mean, a totally accomplished actor, and uh, he had had a uh, early... Uh, Success, uh, which had been interrupted by the Second World War, and he didn't—he had been in *Gone with the Wind*. Right, *Gone with the Wind*. Here to eternity, too, right? And then he was uh, um, starred opposite uh, Claudette Colbert, a a very popular and and, uh, major World War II film called *So Proudly We Hail*. Mm -hmm. And um, and then he went off to the war, and he didn't reestablish himself, and. and so there he was in 51 uh, doing uh, The Adventures of Superman. And uh, I don't know how comfortable he might have personally been about it, but he never, he, he was a very uh, extraordinary and kind of noble 
person mm -hmm. and uh, never complained or never, you know, only once did he ever uh, say anything that uh, would have been derogatory. And that was the first day we ever worked together. Oh, really? Uh-huh. And uh, uh, we, it was a show where, um, where he's saving Jimmy is coming out of the safe is he's locked in a safe by the villain in a high building and they're, uh, they're lowering the safe by rope Jimmy is endangered as he always was yeah. <laughs> and Clark Kent sees up there Jimmy in the safe being lowered out of this building yep I remember that episode <laughs> uh huh and, uh, and he's afraid and he changes to Superman and catches the safe as it drops and takes him out and it was a complicated shot, and it was the first day we worked together. Hmm. And that was done on the Hal Roach lot, because the the um, RKO Pathé lot didn't have a standing uh, city street. They had uh, standing in the back lot still many of the sets from Gone with the Wind, hmm. the station and, and uh, White Oaks and all of that, but they didn't have a standing uh, city street, so they rented that. And we were sitting there, and I was, of course, uh, thrilled to be on the Hal Roach lot um, because I worshipped Harold Lloyd and Laurel Hardy and uh. everyone that had uh, begun their careers there. And George and I were sitting side by side, and we had been introduced to the first scene we were going to play, and, uh, uh, and he complimented me on uh, me and being in Fighter Squadron. And, on, on that film and mm -hmm. my performance and I complimented him on So Proudly We Hail and he said uh, that I'm going to forget the director's name but it was a famous director who had died and uh, and he said uh, he said yes he said and if he hadn't uh, passed away this director while I was while he George was in the service uh, George said I wouldn't be sitting in this monkey suit today. Jeez. That was the only uh, negative thing he ever said in all the years we worked together. And then we went on to uh, uh, do the rescue scene and work together and uh, enjoy each other and huh. uh, our friendship through those years. Yeah. Now, what about Phyllis Coates, who uh, played Lois in the first year? Um, how was she, and what, uh, what was the reason she left the show? Well, she left the show to, in her mind, better herself, ah. uh, and the um, she was terrific to work with, and to tell you the truth, I had a crush on her, <laughs> a major crush yeah. on Gypsy, I know her as Gypsy, and, uh, uh, and I loved working with her, and she was, of course, was terrific, and, and uh, as everybody said, a great screamer, she could scream better than anybody. <laughs> <laughs> when she was in dire straits in the show, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and anyway, the and how she left. What happened was that uh, we signed very peculiar contracts because nobody knew what a television contract was. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Something so new. What we signed was uh, one half of the old studio stock contract. In other words. The studio contracts at that time, you signed for 52 weeks, seven years, 52 weeks, but you only paid for 40. You had 12 weeks layoff, uh -huh. unless you were working. That included uh, 
Alana Turner and Clark Gable, you had 12 weeks layoff. Hmm. Unless you were working, they didn't pay you for that 12 weeks. So we signed these contracts, which were for 26 weeks each year, 20 weeks out of 26, with with uh, 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 the layoff period, hmm. uh, six weeks layoff period, where you didn't get paid, and out of uh, out of 26, and then options that that all they had to do was send you a Western Union telegram at that time. Now, here we are on the radio internet, but at that time there were telegrams yeah. <laughs> at Western Union. And all they had to do was send you a Western Union telegram exercising your option for the next uh, uh, 26 weeks. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then there was a lapse of time because of the show really almost didn't go on the air. I'd almost forgot about it. I, I was told well, probably nobody would ever see it. Yeah. And I did take the money. I did get to New York. And um, and then the show did go on the air and was instantly a huge success. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I remember uh, very shortly we were on the cover of uh, TV Guide and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And then... So there was going to be, uh, you know, 26 more, and uh, and somehow in that time, Gypsy or Phyllis Coates, uh, as she is called officially, uh, had had the offer to play the wife of a major star, Jack Carson, from Warner Brothers on the pilot of what was going to be a Jack Carson uh, comedy series. Mm -hmm. And so somehow she got out of her contract. I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of the whole thing, but somehow she did that, and that never sold. And then we did, uh, you know, another season of Superman, and, uh, and, uh, and that season then Noelle came in and, and played uh, Lois Lane as she had played it uh, uh, in, before in the serials. In, oh, oh, she had already played Lois before? Noelle Neal had played Lois Lane in the uh, the Saturday morning serials. You're not aware of those? No, I didn't know about that you one. You don't need to know about them. <laughs> Nobody knows about them. You don't need to know about them. They were serials, yeah. and they didn't want anybody that had been in the serials to be in uh, the new product, The Adventures of Superman. Oh, did. okay. And then once uh, once uh, uh, Phyllis uh, had left, and then Noel came in and uh, picked up Lois Lane. Oh, huh. That's that story. Yeah. Now, and you seem to be, you know, the charisma between the two of you on that show seemed really good. I mean, you, you seem to play off each other well and... With Noel and me, you're talking yes, about? Yes, yes. Oh, yes, I, I, I adore her. I still do. Yeah. We see each other. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, we meet up to have, we meet up to have hamburgers at an old hangout on, on, <laughs> on Pacific Coast Highway ah. across from where I used to surf. It's across from State Beach uh, near, <laughs> near the old uh, Marion Davies, uh, William Moore Randolph Hearst Mansion. And uh, and there's uh, volleyball courts, and I used to go there and, and on the beach 
and she would play volleyball on the beach. So while we were doing Superman, uh-huh. and across the uh, uh, across the Pacific Coast Highway, there's a hamburger joint, and it still exists. Huh. <laughs> and uh, although they used they used to be able to cross the highway and get a hamburger from a window, now you don't. You have to go in. And sometimes just for a lot of old times, we'll meet up there. We actually did an interview to the New York Times. She wanted to do the interview there. Huh. And it's, yeah. a, uh, it's a roadhouse yeah. now. Yeah. And uh, so we see each other. She's terrific. Now, what about Perry White, played by John Hamilton? He, he, he seemed like such a, 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 a gruff person on the show because that's what his character was. Was he really like that in, in real life? or? He was wonderful. I... Uh, let me see. John, I am more fond of than anybody. Really? That we, yes, that we worked with. I just, I, but I irritated the heck out of oh, him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. He thought of it. It probably shows in our work. He probably thought I was a brat of some sort. I don't know. But he was just my cup of tea as a grand Broadway actor. Yeah, he was he was uh, uh, a member of the Lambs Club, which is the great uh, you know actors club, and he was definitely Mr. Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would refer to other other actors of his ilk as Mr. So they were all Mr. and such. It was very formal, you know. It was uh, uh, a, the, the the nobility of a Broadway actor. He'd been in major Broadway productions and. And uh, and then he came here, and he's in everything, yeah. <laughs> yeah. including my favorite film, The Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. He plays the district attorney. Uh, John, you know, he's everybody's judge and, <laughs> and uh, uh, police captain in, in all of these yeah. films. Now, you must have been thrilled. I mean, you wanted to get on Broadway, and here you were working with a, an actor who had been on Broadway. You must have been thrilled. Oh, yes, and his stories were wonderful. And he'd worked with everybody. Yeah. Aunt. And uh, he was just wonderful, they tell you. Marvelous stories. But he um, um, yeah, he was definitely the first year or so, to me, he was Mr. Hamilton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. He later grew to like me a lot. Yeah. We would visit him. But he was a grand, grand actor out of, uh, uh, you know, the period when actors, when, you know, Miss Ethel Barrymore. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, all of that. And uh, and it was was a great privilege to work with him. And we worked very well together. And it seems to be uh, what people remember most is the two of us and don't call me cheap right. people. When the, when, the, when the show became very popular in 53, I was in New York, and and it, it really changed my life. I couldn't even walk down. I had a little basement apartment off Madison Avenue and 82nd Street, and I couldn't even walk down the street anymore without cab drivers and people yelling, you know, in the show down there. Yeah, where's your pal with the cape? Or, or someone would yell at me, don't call me chief. <laughs> it became the, you know, a kind of a, a thing on the on the show. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. No, I just, uh, my feelings for John and, and, 
and uh, George and I were both pallbearers at his his funeral in 19. Uh, I'm going to forget the exact date, but I guess it was 1959, and uh, the cemetery, which is now called Hollywood Forever, hmm. and uh, where there were Douglas Fairbank and Throne Power. But anyway, we uh, we were pallbearers, and I don't know. And then and then the show. Uh, was going to shoot another year. I didn't know what they'd do yeah. or who they'd get to replace uh, because we were going to shoot another year. But that's another story which I'm sure you'll get to. Yeah. Why that... we didn't shoot in 59. Right, yeah. Now, what about Robert Shane, uh, Inspector Henderson? He was also a very distinguished actor from Broadway and, um, and uh, a fine, wonderful man. And... Uh, who I was very, you know, proud to be working with him. Yeah. Well, you learn from these people. Yeah. You learn pacing and you learn things. And then I learned from everybody I worked with. I, I to tell you the truth, I learned more from the character actors. People like Sterling Holloway. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the great comics. And what I always wanted to be, and that's why I loved working at the Hal Roach Studios when we did on locations. I always would have loved to have been a too real comedian, <laughs> you know, in yeah. the days of Hal Roach uh, yeah. and uh, the early Harold Lloyd things and everything. And uh, and that was the joy to me of doing Superman because when they discovered uh, um, in uh, 53 that Jimmy became very, very popular. Oh, yes. And, uh, and they seemed to realized that I had a gift for comedy. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the 51 series, uh, uh, Jimmy is basically a, uh, a naive uh, uh, juvenile in peril, you know. You're right, yep. Um, but he's not a, and those shows are, are kind of, uh, you know, film noir. They're, they're beautifully done shows. Yeah, just the, 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 the lighting and everything was, was yeah. different. That was under Robert Maxwell produced it, who had produced the radio show, uh-huh. and uh, and they were very. Uh, uh, well, some of them were so dark that they couldn't even. Uh, the two of them couldn't be shown until later uh, on television. Hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, when they, uh, it seemed that the, the Superman fans or something, Kellogg. I don't know how all these things were done. But Kellogg's, uh, the advertising agencies, had a big say at that time in um, uh, in produ- productions. They don't now, but they did then. Like Philip Morris was, uh, you know, they were single sponsors. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they were single sponsors of uh, I Love Lucy, and Kellogg's was a single sponsor of Superman. Yeah. And uh, so they there seemed to be a response when I was uh, a comedic. And so they just gave me my head, and I got to be do anything I wanted with comedy, and this was just actually my dream come true. So I got to uh, fulfill a lot of my comic desires, my old Hal Roach uh, uh, comic desires on The Adventures of Superman. And hmm. then when we worked with people who were great comedians um, who came through the show, uh, like Sterling Holloway, they would help me 
with the timing of things. I would work out gimmicks and bits, and and I remember once I was doing something, and and it wasn't working. It was a scene with the whole gang, with uh, George and and, at the, and Noel and uh, John and Sterling Holloway in an elevator. And I was trying to do something with a tape recorder. I don't know exactly what it was, a tape recorder and a, and a, and a uh, thing. And I was throwing what is called a skull, which is the double-take look. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't working. I was trying to rehearse it, and suddenly Sterling Holloway was standing there in this set, this elevator set. He said, do you want me to tell you what you're doing wrong? <laughs> I said, yes. He said, you're throwing the skull at the wrong point. He said, you need to, to look up, look down, and then you look back and you throw the skull. The skull is a, a kind of double take. Yeah. yeah. There. And he said, and of course I realized that, uh, and, and I did it, and, and, uh, and that worked, but you learn from working with these people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who were, you know, just greatly accomplished well, uh, that, performers. That leads us to one of the emails that we got, and I was going to hold those to the end, but since this actually the question actually covers some of this i want to i'll throw this one out at you um this one came from uh, sharon in england and she says your portrayal of jimmy olsen added much to the show your comic timing was perfect did you want to do comedic roles when you started acting yes to answer sharon in england i did and i'm rather comic in the first film fighter squadron i have several comic scenes mm-hmm. and then but it didn't go anywhere, you know, for me. You you you, you become a like standard juvenile, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and yes, I would like. I, that's what I would like to have done. Yeah, and uh, was comedy, and that's what I did. Yeah, well, you know, the show when you were on that show, the the one thing I I liked about it. I mean, naturally, Superman was the 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 biggest part of the the show. You know, in the sense of you know, it is Superman, but. They didn't just key on Superman alone. All of you had your own uh, storylines, and you had your chance to be, uh, you know, standing out in in different episodes all the time. So it, it was kind of you know nice that they did that. Yes, because they it could have turned good. around and made it completely just Superman. <laughs> yeah, and they always let me do work out uh, beginning in '53 to work out comic bits. Hmm. And you know, I'm talking about bits of business and all of that. Yeah. You know? to do something uh, uh, and uh, and they would always say that because we didn't have a lot of room to do retakes and the director would see me working out something and trying to and I used to be helped by our prop man Sam Hirsch who'd been an old vaudevillian he would watch when I work out these things and the directors would always say okay you get one take to get it right and if it doesn't work in the first take you don't do it <laughs> was the thing and basically I got it right in the first take but Sam would be standing off there uh, who I said was our prop man and yeah. he would give a big smile if it was okay and so so in, in scene after scene Jimmy has a comic bit oh yeah I, I can remember I don't I don't remember what show it was from which episode but I just remember there was one show where you were uh, you were all tangled up in a telephone uh, wire for some reason I it's just one of those ones that sticks in my mind. <laughs> well, that was that was one of the best bits, and that was exactly a thing. He is, uh, I know, because I, I had a chance to do that. He comes, supposedly, to remember a telephone repairman to the villain. Yes, that's and, right. Uh, 
and uh, they're telephoning. He says he's doing that, and he comes disguised with a mustache. <laughs> yes. And they wanted to do something. They said, well, how were they going to? Just suddenly he would take the mustache off. They would say, no, that's not a real mustache or something. And I said, no, 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 no. Let me, if I can do this right, I'm going to tangle the cord and hold it up and and try to get the the cord, the unwinding cord all tangled to tangle in the in the fake mustache and take the mustache off or remove the mustache and that was exactly so they let me work it out and fortunately that worked in the first take huh. yeah I... yes no no that was a that was a, one of my favorite bits it was a, it was a comic bit and then and then the uh, villain takes and pulls them and says, well, you don't know, you're Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, so I am. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I can, <laughs> can always remember that episode for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's one that just stuck in my mind. Yeah, now, that, was one of, that was one of the most ornate comic books, and I prayed it would work. Oh, yes. And it did work, yeah. you know, but it's not easy to get the, you know, you get the all tangled and try to, try to get the telephone to spin and untangle it. I remember it vividly, <laughs> and because uh, I wanted it to work, and they wouldn't, you know, they didn't have time to reshoot these things. Right. And that's the end of part one of the Jack Larson, Jimmy Olsen's Adventures of Superman TV show interview. And if you want to hear the part two, just uh, go to our website, click on it, or download it, whichever you're going to do. And you can also go to iTunes. And Jack continues to talk about. Superman, the adventures of Superman and George Reeves and all those things, plus a whole lot more. you got to listen to it. It's part two right here from On Screen and Beyond.